Hello and welcome to the Rogers Brief. I'm Adam Rogers. Thank you for watching and thank you for listening. I'm going to give a summary of sorts of what we've heard so far over the first six days of proceedings in the Mass Casualty Commission. And I put some of this under, I'm going to talk mostly about the process and procedures that have been followed so far. You can put this under the category of uh, the old Marshall McLuhan saying that the medium is the message. Well, the procedure that the uh, Mass Casualty Commission has been following is really affecting the content. And in my view, it's their disorienting approach uh, to the evidence presentation so far is really unfair to the viewing public. And uh, also, it's not at all trauma-informed, as is uh, in their mandate. So we're now six days into the Mass Casualty Commission proceedings. And so far, I think it's fair to conclude that the, the process designed by the commissioners uh, seems intended to sap as much dramatic interest as possible uh, from the proceedings, as though that were somehow synonymous with being trauma-informed. So what we've seen so far is that witness statements have been, and officer notes, have been published on the website in full. Uh, the parties, uh, the non-commissioned parties, have been forced to beg uh, the commission for witnesses to be called. The lawyers, uh, in doing so, have had to give advance warning of their lines of questioning uh, for these witnesses, or proposed witnesses. And then, as part of that process, the uh, police have really tried to exploit the, the trauma-informed uh, mandate uh, into what they see is what should be a blanket exemption uh, from any police officer having to testify. Uh, and then maybe the biggest issue is that in six days of proceedings so far about Portapique and in all the talk about Portapique, we have yet to hear a single word spoken by a person who was actually there. Okay, so I want to talk about all of those things. Uh, first of all, the statements. So if you look on the website of the Mass Casualty Commission, you'll see what is really a, a treasure trove for the curious. Uh, statements given by witnesses, uh, sometimes multiple statements, uh, officer notes, handwritten notes and reports, uh, lots of uh, documents, maps, other things. Things that would normally be provided to a, a lawyer as part of the uh, disclosure. Now, these statements are not typically given to the public. And instead, each lawyer is given a copy of the statement, and then you would have the witness appear in their examination in chief, go through their statement, go through everything that they've uh, they witnessed, and then each of the other lawyers, you know, however many, four or five, maybe a few more, in an inquiry setting, would have an opportunity to cross-examine and use the statement or any parts of it that they feel are um, are relevant to the questions at hand or ask questions that have nothing to do with anything that's in the statement. Uh, but instead, we don't have that. Uh, the statements have been provided uh, to the public and to everybody. And, you know, uh, it's a bit of an issue because there's stuff in there, there's sensitive information, things that are otherwise embarrassing that may not be germane at all to a key fact, and yet uh, here they are exposed to the public. Like, in some of the statements, the people in the community are talking about, 
you know, romantic uh, relationships, affairs, it seems, uh, different interpersonal relationships that uh, may not have anything to do with any, uh, you know, relevant fact. And then in one of the uh, staff sergeant's reports, uh, Staff Sergeant Halliday talks about, uh, you know, his initial suspicion that maybe it was uh, an officer that was, uh, that had, you know, gone crazy and uh, started uh, shooting people and named the officer. And that's in the, it's in the statement. So, you know, why did he think of that particular officer? Was there something going on? Uh, it sounds like it, whatever it is, it might be something sensitive that um, probably has nothing to do with the situation. Uh, so, and yet it's public. So certainly doesn't appear to be trauma informed in that regard. More, uh, maybe more broadly speaking, I think the commission needs to understand, uh, or maybe they do understand, that there's a variety of interests at play here, and the public, you know, the the public interest in, you know, the interest of the members of the public, I mean, in the mass casualty commission proceedings is part of that. It's part of the field of battle among these various interests. You see this uh, playing out in each witness. Uh, you know, the, the parties, the members of the families, uh, they want a, a certain witness to be called. And, you know, the, you know, the commission, the police uh, lawyers uh, take the opposite view. So there's definitely, uh, you know, decisions to be made and important decisions to be made on the part of the commissioners. Uh, but the field, uh, you know, it also includes the public interest. So the parties and the families need the public to be involved and to be interested because after the commission has issued a report, then, you know, the, whether the government is going to enact any of those recommendations is going to depend in large part on how much public pressure they're facing to do so. And if the public has tuned out or, you know, for whatever reason has lost interest in the matter, then that only serves the vested interests of the police and the government. So. Uh, there, there's certainly interests at play and the commissioners need to be aware of this and take that into account when they're making their decisions on on uh, procedure. So just take this last week for example. So instead of having you know stoic six foot five Mountie Stuart Bissell talking about uh, you know leading off the proceedings with a, a first-hand account of the initial steps into uh, down Portapec Beach Road uh, we had kindly self-deprecating legal aid lawyer Roger Burrow giving what amounted to an extended TED talk to us, you know, and and then the issue of the lawyers having to provide their questions in advance. So instead of a witness potentially being surprised by a question or a line of questions on the stand, and perhaps you know revealing something that they were trying to otherwise conceal. The lawyers for the parties were forced to show their hands, uh, reveal what questions uh, that they intended to ask, and you know if they didn't do so, they weren't they weren't going to get that witness called. The the witness wasn't going to be asked to appear by the commission, and we still don't know whether the commission uh, will uh, have witnesses testify. One of the other issues of publishing all of the statements is uh, you know it just provides another another argument to some of the parties to say, well, we don't need witnesses to testify, they've already given statements. Well, uh, there's issues with that as well, of course. But it all takes some of, like I say, the, the dramatic energy out of uh, the proceedings, and that only serves the, the interests of the, uh, of the established, you know, the government and the, the police. Another strategy 
that was used this week was something that's done in uh, I know governments when they want to release bad news they either do it at a certain time or or they'll do what's called a, a news dump they'll issue a whole bunch of bad news or a whole bunch of news at, a, at one time and so that was done here as well the statements were all released police reports were released so you know we get instead of a day-by-day -day revelation of certain facts which could lead to you know daily outrage or daily reactions we have this concentrated release of information and so the reaction is limited in in time and probably in scale or at least I would think that would be the hope of the uh, of the police and the government and perhaps the Commission I mean that's uh, they've chosen to do it this way so it's an open question on top of all of that of course we the first thing that happens in the proceedings is this very highly technical 911 presentation slash uh, witness that really uh, didn't need to lead off proceedings that could have been something that was done later on in the context of, uh, of other evidence so um, you know certainly uh, was a curious start a curious decision to start the proceedings in that manner now the commissioners may not consider it their responsibility to be interesting but they should be aware of how their decisions impact the engagement level of the public and to the extent that that engagement level is reduced that serves certain interests now judging by some of the exchanges uh, between the lawyers and some of the commissioners uh, it's easy to get the sense uh, particularly I think from Commissioner Stanton in her exchange with uh, Michael Scott from Patterson Law you know that the commissioners are inclined to rely on the interviews and uh, witness statements that have been provided and that you know somehow somehow this is uh, trauma-informed uh, really you know to them being trauma-informed means avoiding trauma at all costs even at the cost of uh, accurate fact-finding but you know if that was their interpretation we'll see when they make their decisions on witnesses uh, that would be uh, hardly the most misguided interpretation of the trauma-informed uh, mandate of the Commission. That uh, distinction belongs to the National Police Federation who attempted to uh, persuade the commissioners that uh, their members, which is all the police officers below the level of staff sergeant, should be exempted from testifying because of the traumatic nature of the circumstances. Um, you know, never mind that every day in court across this country, police officers are testifying about traumatic situations that they've investigated. Uh, but the fact that the National Police Federation even felt that they could make this argument uh, just shows to me how malleable the uh, term trauma-informed has been allowed to appear in these uh, proceedings. But the... <laughs> The exchange between uh, when the purported expert that the National uh, Police Federation was trying to have, uh, you know, testify, this uh, Dr. Carlton from the University of Regina, when he was testifying and then was cross-examined, it really showed and highlighted the benefits, uh, the potential benefits at least of uh, effective cross-examination. You know, after uh, Patterson Law's uh, Rob Pinio was finished with Dr. Carlton, it was clear to everybody, I think, and certainly it seemed clear to the commissioners because they rejected him as an expert. 
uh, that uh, Dr. Carlton was, you know, somebody that was had certainly financial interests in uh, in the matter with his research for the RCMP, and he hadn't done any uh, study uh, personal studies himself. It was a document review that he had written and hadn't examined or spoken even to any of the police officers. And then on top of it all, he'd never been uh, declared an expert in any court proceeding uh, previously. And that fact, which is a very important fact typically in qualifying an expert, how often they've been qualified before, uh, seemed to, you know, I don't know if it caught people off guard at the end, because it was only at the end of his direct examination that was even mentioned. And then uh, Rob uh, Pinio, of course, asked him about that. And, and Dr. Carlton said he couldn't recall whether he had been named an expert before, which uh, is a certainly unusual thing not to be able to recall. Anyway, none of this, uh, none of this that has happened over the last six days is fair to the public. Questions as to who is going to testify should have been determined long ago. Uh, should have been done, you know, largely with agreement. If individual witnesses need accommodations uh, because of you know their traumatic experiences, they need to testify uh, you know behind a screen or in another room with closed circuit or whatever. Uh, that that can be done and that could have been discussed before this, you know. So, but here we are, six days in, and like I said, we haven't heard from one person who's actually who was actually there in the scenario in the situation in Portapique when this was all happening. And we didn't get that opportunity yet, and we may never get that opportunity. We just don't know yet. And so, I'd say certainly overall, uh, it has been a disorienting approach to evidence presentation, and the public interest has not at all been served by what we've seen in the first six days. So, uh, we'll watch next week to see what comes of the commissioner's decisions is, uh, with regard to witnesses. Uh, hopefully, they. Um, provide some clarity at least as to how they're going to approach these questions and then we can move beyond some of these uh, some of these arguments and applications by the parties and and get into the evidence itself and finally see what happened and get some answers all right so that's everything for that I wanted to talk about for the first six days I'll be watching of course uh, as always when the proceedings continue uh, next week and uh, we'll be back to uh, tell you all about it right here Alright, so thank you for watching and thank you for listening and we will see you next time.